I dreamed of traveling the long road, singing my songs to that distant stranger. Yes, I know it's sad for you, but it's something I got to do. And I will be coming home, back to the mountains, back to being free from all there is to be. Coming home to live and the life I once knew. Hello, everyone. And welcome to Bedtime Bible Boys with Brock, Trey, and Theron TJ. Thanks Thanks for for listening. We love you, Mom. And you too, Gail. we're going to take a little time here to read James chapter 1. This is a packed chapter, so get ready. Are you ready? Can you handle it? Mm-hmm. I don't think you can handle it. I can handle it. Brock, do you, do you remember who, what was James, uh, what's he kind of famous for? Do you remember? I mean, other than being one of the apostles, but what specifically set him sort of apart from the other apostles? In the disciples of Jesus? James is Jesus' brother, right? His half-brother, I should say. They're both the son of Mary. Mm-hmm. Of course, James would be the son of Joseph, and Jesus would be the son of God. James is one of those books of the Bible, a little bit like Malachi, that causes a lot of people to evaluate themselves and their performance of does... Do the works that I show in this life line up with the thing I say to believe? Because it is quite true that when you believe something, you act according to it. You know, it's sort of a lie if you say, I believe this, and then you act a completely different way. I mean, that doesn't really reveal an honesty of heart. Would you guys agree? Mm-hmm. So a lot of times James is looked at through that lens, but I was reading on it and I just wanted to open up another viewpoint, maybe another way of looking at these words. One thing you have to remember is that James, again, is going to be written in Greek, and then it's going to have been translated into English. And in that translation, I mean, it's hard. You have to decide a lot of times how you're going to rearrange. They don't necessarily put subjects and verbs in the same structure that we do, pronouns. It's... um, they, they may put their they might put their prepositional phrases like backwards how we might say I went to the mall they might say to the mall I went or something mm-hmm. like that so it leaves sometimes a little bit of ambiguity in like the order of wording and it, and it can be hard so I'm not going to claim that this is divinely inspired but when I was reading this today things did they felt inspired to me and so I'm going to share that James starts off And he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So he starts this whole thing off talking about trials. He says, Because you know that the testing of your faith, right? The testing of your faith, what is faith? Faith is the hope for things unseen, right? It's the hope and assurity of the things not yet seen. Yes. What's a trial? A trial is like a trouble, something difficult. Because you know that the testing of your 
Hope, in things not yet seen, develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then in verse 5, he gives this little thing. He says, it's kind of like, if you're on your way to maturity and you find that you lack wisdom, you should ask God. I would Wisdom is definitely a word that's associated with maturity, right? When you think of somebody who's mature, like an old man, you think of wisdom, right? Like they have wisdom, right? If you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, and of course this would be somebody who's very mature, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is double-minded, unstable in all he does. And that's true as well. When you see somebody who says, I'm following Christ, and then they live in total shadows, they do not seem stable. It's like, I don't know what you're committed to. I don't know if you're committed to yourself. I don't know if you're committed to power. I don't know if you're committed to a sin. I don't know if you're committed to the Lord you claim you're committed to because your life is so hard for everybody else to tell. It is unstable. Okay, so here we go in verse 9. I'm going to read it once, then we'll talk about it. The brother, when we talk about brothers and sisters, we're talking about believers in Christ. Right? The brother in humble circumstances... Do you know what humble circumstances would mean, Brock? Somebody who is going through something that would make you feel poor. It could be actual money, lacking money. Or it could just be something that humbles you, like you feel poor in health, like you're sick. Or you feel poor in relationships, like maybe you don't have friends or uh, these kinds of things. It says, The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position interesting but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower basically his riches are going to pass away the riches of this earth are not going to follow us into heaven they are going to pass away for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed in the same way the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business So that can get kind of hard to understand, but think of it saying like this. Believers in humble circumstances take pride. The rich will fade away. Earthly riches will fade away. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So take pride in your humble circumstance because you're not racing for the trophy of this life. You're racing for the trophy of the next life, right? Mm -hmm. Now, in verse 12... I think he's continuing on in this same idea, talking to the brother in humble circumstances. He said, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Now, here's where I think people get... When you're shaky in your belief in... Eternal security. Do you know what eternal security means? Eternal means like everlasting forever. That's right. It's like you're no longer confused about whether or not you're saved. That's not an issue. There's people who are confused, right? Either they're new believers 
they haven't read the Bible, maybe they're picking up the Bible for the first time and they're reading it, they think they're saved, they think they have eternal security, but they don't really know. I'm just going to say that when I, when somebody like that, who is not mature, but is immature in Christ, and they doubt their salvation, and they're being blown and tossed by the wind, and they're double-minded, they're going to read this, and they're going to say, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, meaning when he doesn't give in to the temptation, oh, at that point, then he will receive the crown of life. It kind of makes you feel like, oh, so I haven't really received the crown of life in Christ until I spend my whole life proving that I'm going to overcome these trials that are going to come my way. It kind of reads like that. I don't know if everybody disagrees, but to me, it kind of reads like that. But that's confusing because if there's one central thing to the Christian faith, it has to be that we can wager everything on the fact that Christ was enough. We have to be able to live in the peace that, that the Bible talks about. We have to be able to know the minute we come to Christ and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, from that point on, we go from death to life and it's something that cannot be taken from us. It's something that cannot be undone. We're alive. We're spiritually alive. Does this make sense? When you direct translate that sentence, blesses the man who perseveres under trial because he has stood the test, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. It's funny because that word when doesn't really come in there. It would be better like this. Blessed is the one, well, not better. It would, it, it's more of a direct, if you look at the exact Greek words and just direct translate them, blessed is the one who keeps his faith in humble circumstances because having been approved, meaning already, having already been approved, he will receive the crown of life promised to a believer. I know this is a little confusing, but think about this. The subject is, is still talking about the brother in humble circumstances. So he says, brother in humble circumstances, you ought to take pride in that. But before I talk to you, let me talk about this rich man who's proud of all the stuff he has on earth. And after he gets finished kind of talking about the rich man and telling him all his stuff will go away, he comes back to the believer in humble circumstances and said, and says, yes, consider yourself blessed. Don't consider the rich man blessed. Consider yourself blessed that you're in humble circumstances or under trial because you have been approved. You have received the crown of life in Christ. You have already been approved for the next race we're running. So instead of saying when he has succeeded or when he has stood the test, I like the literal translation better that says having been approved. Blessed is the man, blessed is the brother in Christ, the believer going through humble circumstances because he knows that humble circumstances on this life are not his end game because he's already been approved by the seal of Jesus Christ. Do you see how that concept is more in line with like, I don't know if you guys feel it, but it's like, ah, that's my father. That just, and it's not because I made it up, right? It's not because we just get to go through the Bible and decide what our own theology is. It's because this word is not going to contradict itself. And when you take verse 12 to mean that you have to stand a trial of, or tests in life and pass them in order to receive the crown of life, 
that would definitely be preaching the message of grace plus works. Like, you need to come to Jesus Christ. You have to work for grace. That's right, yeah. You need to come to Jesus Christ to receive grace, and then you need to continue working for it, right? Mm-hmm. And is that consistent with everything that we know about Jesus? No. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted. So think of the blessed man going through troubles. He's trying to persevere, right? Persevere meaning not give in to the temptation to settle his humble circumstances by serving the flesh, by sinning. Does that make sense? He's saying, don't say, don't use this, what I just told you right here, blessed is the man who's in humble circumstances, don't use this to say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and nor does he tempt anyone. But you become tempted when, by your own evil desire, it says by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. death. For sure. We know that. We know that, right? So what they're what he's saying is, is you don't come to sin because God puts you in humble circumstances. You come to sin because in those humble circumstances... Okay, so think about this. It's like... There's like... We started this whole thing off talking about maturity. And let's assume... There's this road we're on, and it's lit with Christ, and all we have to do is stay in the light. On the road of light, there are obstacles, right? There are things to overcome. There are humble circumstances. These humble circumstances are going to develop our faith, right? Our belief and hope in the things that are unseen, right? They're going to develop our faith, and in that, we're going to mature in Christ. We have to go over these obstacles, right? When walking in that light, we look off to the right and we see a dark path that goes around the obstacle, right? It goes around the humble circumstance, but we know it's outside the light. We know it's evil. And we look at it and we say, that's tempting to just go that way, right? Once we step out of the light and into that darkness, now we're in sin. We know we're going the wrong way. We were on a light, a lighted path that included humble circumstances to maturation in Christ. We got off the path. We followed sin. And then when you get in there, if you stay there and don't get back into the light, it will lead to death. Does this make sense? Mm-hmm. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Look at this is cool. This is verse 18. This gives us the assurance of what I just read, that the Lord did it all. It says, verse 18, He chose, He chose to give us birth, right? Spiritual rebirth. We're going to be born again. Spiritual rebirth through the word of truth. Who is the Bible talking about? when it said, in the beginning there was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Do you know who specifically they're talking about? 
God. Yeah, Jesus, right? They're saying that this word is about Jesus. They're talking about Jesus. So, pay attention here. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Who is the word of truth? Jesus is the word of truth. He chose to give us life, to give us the gift of spiritual life through the word of the truth, Jesus Christ, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Does that make sense? So that we would be like sons and daughters of all that he created when we accept that, when we walk and step into that. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. What's that word? That's the word that through the Lord Jesus Christ you will be saved. Through his indwelling presence. Do not merely listen to the word. And notice James is challenging us. Live out your life in the light of that word. Do not live out your life in the shadows of darkness proclaiming that word. I'm not going to call that an outright lie, but it feels like an outright lie. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word, again, the word is Jesus Christ, okay? Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. Okay, now this is interesting. And after looking at it himself, looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I believe what James is really talking about here is what did Jesus Christ preach? He preached that none come to the Father except through me. He preached that to have any chance at seeing God or being with God, you had to go through him. Right? We had to go through the grace of Jesus Christ. That's the way we have to go. So when you've listened to that word and you've convinced yourself, I'm settled on this. I'm grounded in this. I'm not going to be like a wave tossed to and from thinking it has to be some works and some Christ. It's all Christ. Once you're settled in that, what he's saying is, live according to that word. You've been exposed to the truth of Jesus Christ. Live according to it. Otherwise, it's like you look in the mirror and you say, I'm saved by Christ. And then you go walk away and life starts coming up and maybe you sin, maybe you do something and you start thinking to yourself, uh-oh, I need to have works too. It's like you've forgotten who you just saw. You just settled in your mind that you are the righteousness of God in Christ, not in yourself, not in Christ plus you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. But then you walk away from the mirror and you forget that that's what you just convinced yourself of. Does that make sense? Don't forget. Do not forget that. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, notice when we say the perfect law that gives freedom, we're not talking about the old law. The word says that God found fault with the old law because we couldn't handle it. The perfect law is the new law, which is that all are saved through grace in Jesus Christ. So the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it. He will be blessed in what he does. And in verse 26, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself 
and his religion is worthless. Now look at 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Well, this is quite interesting, right? James is about to tell us what religion is it that God is going to accept. That's important to me. I want That's the thing I want to do, right? Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I just want to say this. This came to me today. When we lose our relationship to the Father with sins, or because of sin, when we weren't saved before we came to Christ, we had no father as child, as children. What does that make us? Orphans. That makes us orphans. The church is collectively known as the bride of Christ. Right? Before the bride, when the bride has no husband, what is she? When a bride has no husband anymore. Widow. She's a widow. So think about this. This is what's pure and faultless to the Lord. To look after the orphans. To come back and rescue the orphans of this world and the widows. To come claim your children as child of God by giving them the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit made available to us through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And to come claim your bride. Make orphans turn into children of God again and make a widowed bride become the bride of Christ again. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And in order to fulfill the law so that Christ could be the perfect sacrifice on the cross and accomplish forgiveness, what did he have to do? Die. Yeah, but what did he have to do during his life in order to be a perfect sacrifice? Not sin. Not sin. So to keep oneself polluted by, from being polluted by the world. So it was almost like God was saying, this here is what God will accept. Someone who can come in and live unblemished, unsin by this world. And in doing so, he can come back to reclaim children. And ultimately, the bride of Christ is his own. I think it's pretty cool. It's a different way of reading it. And I don't claim that all of that was like, you know, God saying this is how it is, like in a real emphatic way but it, it lit up that to me and I think when we when we break down these verses and we really think of every word and what it means it becomes a little bit easier to line up the message of Christ with what we're reading so that way we don't read something and see it through a legalistic lens and walk away from the mirror thinking oh now I'm saved by grace plus works it's all grace it's only grace nothing but the blood of Jesus is going to suffice for the payment for our sins and nothing but the indwelling presence of the spirit which can now live in our bodies is going to be able to make us alive and acceptable before our god and he did all this because in the first case or in the first place he loves us love was the energy it was the purpose behind all of this I love you, kids. Love you, too. You guys are good kids.